0: The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. My name's Zach, and I'll be your host throughout this journey, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current series, Harry Potter, that I didn't read through until I was in my mid 20s. That's the belated part. But Now that I've come around, we're going to go through a chapter or two at a time, taking a deep dive into world building, character development, plot holes, theories, themes, we'll give away some meaningless awards, and we'll just have some fun. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge, and today, we continue that reread of the Harry Potter series with chapters 6 and 7 of the Sorcerer's, or Philosopher's Stone, the journey from Platform 9 and 3 quarters, and the Sorting Hat, but first this podcast will have spoilers. We dissect each chapter, we look at the character motivations, and how that impacts the greater story. This podcast could also have a chance for some adult language. I do my best, but I'm not perfect. Now, to catch you up, last week we covered Chapter 5, Diagon Alley, where Harry and Hagrid take a trip to, you guessed it, Tahiti. Dumb joke. Harry got his school stuff, his wand, his owl. He had a great day, and then he had to camp out at the Dursleys', and that's where we pick things off, uh, pick things up rather in this episode's play by play. Play by play. So the play by play segment of the Belated Binge Podcast is where we take a recap and look at the events of the chapter or chapters that we're covering for a given episode, and. Today, we start with the journey from Platform 9 and 3 quarters, and it starts off pretty rough. Harry had to go back to the Dursleys for a month, and they completely ignored him, which is just a new form of their, now in, what, 10 years of emotional abuse for this child. Vernon seems to agree to take Harry to the train station for two reasons. One... He has to go into town, London, to get Dudley's pigtail removed, which he's had for a month. Let that sink in for a second. Also, because Harry tells him about platform nine and three quarters, and Vernon just can't wait to drop him off and laugh about how there's no such platform. He finds joy in the idea that his 11 year old nephew, who he's Legally responsible for is going to walk into a busy train station and presumably not find the train and just get stuck there by himself. Vernon's a real piece of work. He literally walks Harry into the station, shows him there's no sign for platform nine and three quarters, and tells him to have a nice term. And he just leaves him there. The author does a really good job of writing. Characters that you're just supposed to hate, because the Dursleys are the definition of awful. Luckily, there's a master plan at work here. Of course, you might be thinking, what the heck is he talking about? I mean, who happens to walk by talking loud enough for the one lone wizard boy to hear? Quote, packed with muggles, of course. Now, what's the platform number? Unquote. You could say this is lucky for Harry. How incredibly convenient that Harry's future family happens to be walking by at this very moment of need. It's almost as if someone planned it. And I believe someone did plan this. That someone is Albus Dumbledore. Who else? Molly was basically a sleeper agent in this train station, and her seemingly out-of-character comments were for Harry's benefit more than anybody else's. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into this particular idea, you should join us over on Patreon for the latest Theory Corner episode. Patrons can not only get exclusive content like Theory Corner, we'll do some awards banquets over there. We're toying with some other um, uh, ideas for uh, bonus content over there. Like when we do have guests on the show, I try to make sure that we get a an extra segment with them. Uh, and also all patrons get early access to ad-free episodes. So if you would like to support the show and get that, you know, those perks, (laughs) go ahead and head on over to patreon.com slash belated binge and, you know, help us out. Now, now that Harry's got a little bit of hope, he follows the Weasleys to try to figure out where the, the heck is he supposed to go? We get the introduction to the twins who are cracking jokes, which we'll later learn is literally their calling in life. Molly introduces Harry to Ron, which ends up being the most important introduction for Harry's entire life. I'm going to stop there for just one second because there's probably plenty of people cussing under their breath or maybe just screaming at their speakers or their iPhones or whatever you're listening on. Hear me out. Harry meets a lot of people in this series, and there are a ton of incredibly impactful relationships let's face it as a sole lone wolf type of a hero savior wizard boy he's not going to get it done he's not going to save the day because he's some prodigy he doesn't train like rocky he's not going to take on the world single-handedly he's pretty average from a magical prowess and intellectual standpoint he's not an idiot but he's kind of just kind of just another dude in some ways uh, so he leans heavily into relationships that he makes along the way so who might be more important than rotten weasley the first one that people are shouting at me i can hear you hermione she literally saves their ass every book and is more of the prototypical hero from a skill and intellectual standpoint than anybody else in this book maybe perhaps aside from Dumbledore but without the relationship that Harry has with Ron first there's no train meetup there's no I'm going to bed speech there's no crying in the bathroom and thus there's no troll fighting, and no friendship with Hermione. Maybe they become friends another way. Maybe through Neville, maybe through the library. Let's pretend that Harry, if he's not friends with Ron, actually goes there. But what if Harry actually ends up hanging out with, you know, Seamus and Dean instead? Seamus, sorry, I said Seamus, didn't I? Seamus or Dean instead. Uh, Hermione coming in as the third wheel, fourth wheel in that weird trio? No. In this story that we get, no Ron, no Hermione. What's another impactful relationship that could be more important than Ron? Well, Dumbledore. Duh. But I don't count Harry as meeting Dumbledore at any point in the series really a meetup or a meeting because dumbledore has literally been pulling the strings for harry's entire life if you haven't realized that you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes so i don't when i'm when i'm thinking about a person that he meets in the wizarding world being more important to harry throughout these books i don't count dumbledore among that and I still think it's Ron. Who else could it possibly be? Lupin. He teaches him how to cast a Patronus, which is obviously a, a big deal. But against the scale of lifelong best friend, future brother-in-law, hunting Horcruxes and killing Voldemort, it's, you know, Patronuses are important, but slightly less important. Serious. I might make a few people a little displeased with me here. But I kind of think that the Harry serious relationship is a little more on the hypothetical side and a little less on the thing of substance side. Um, Give me a sec. He meets him. Serious goes on the run. They spend a little bit of time together in Old Place, surrounded by no less than 10 or more people at pretty much all times. They exchange a few letters. They have a couple meaningful chats in the fire, but... I don't think Sirius really does that much for Harry, and while it's emotionally pleasing, it's nowhere near the importance of the, you know, the way he leans on Ron and the importance of Ron in his life throughout the story. Who else? Um, I'll give you one more possibility: Hagrid. He tells Harry that he's a wizard. You know that's huge, obviously, uh, but even learning that he's a wizard. Harry doesn't kill Voldemort without Ron and Hermione by his side. And as I established a minute ago, he doesn't become friends with Hermione without being friends with Ron first. So, most important introduction of Harry's life when Molly introduces him to his, her youngest son, Ron. I'm going to consider that matter closed. Play by play. Somali helps Harry get on the platform. He boards the train with some help from the twins. They get his luggage loaded up where they pretty much immediately recognize his scar. Harry overhears some hush-hush Weasley talking out the window, which has some it's got some funny bits, and then they talk about him before the train is ready to take off. And guess who comes in to sit with Harry? You know, it's Ron. And the most important friendship for Harry officially begins. Their opening dialogue goes on for a few pages. It's a mixture of awkward 11-year-old boy chat and super important glimpses into their character. Harry's nervous about going to Hogwarts, and it's he's got no idea about the Wizarding World. He's full of self-doubt. And on the other side, Ron is completely self-conscious about his family's economic status and living up to his older brother's accomplishments. These themes continue throughout the entire series, really. And so does Harry's desire to share with his friend, which starts here, too, with a ton of candy and no dry sandwiches. We get our next Easter egg for the book's climax when Harry reads the back of Dumbledore's chocolate frog card, Nicholas Flamel. Hmm. That might be important. We get our first glimpse of Neville who lost his toad and has no idea now or ever that he will be so closely tied to Harry and to the overarching plot of this series. Right now, he's just a chunky little clumsy kid with zero self-confidence and a knack for losing and forgetting stuff. And then Hermione Granger makes her entrance, and she's obnoxious, super stuck up, super nerdy, super bossy, and kind of super lame. Of course, she turns out to be a total badass in the literal hero of this story, but in this moment, right now, in this chapter, she's a bookworm with a lack of social skills. What you have to admire, even in this version of our third member of our not yet formed trio, is how hard she's clearly already worked. This is a girl who's grown up with muggles, had no idea she was a witch and has got to be super nervous about being here and going to Hogwarts and entering this brand new world, you know, like Harry is. When Harry was anxious to start school, he skimmed through his books, despite what Snape might believe. Hermione devoured hers and then kept going. And you have to think that she, like Harry, thought she would be behind. All of these other students in their minds grew up around magic and they already know how to do a ton of wizard stuff. She wanted to learn everything she possibly could to catch up and essentially prove herself. Plus, she has an obvious desire to be good at this. She's kind of like an athlete, constantly training her skills in the gym and she started at 11. No wonder she becomes so formidable as a witch. She leaves and our two new best friends, the two best friends anybody could ever have, get back to chatting and Ron drops another Easter egg of plot telling Harry about someone trying to rob Gringotts. And then... (sighs) Malfoy's goon squad. We're not going to spend a ton of time here because we'll have plenty of chances to talk about how annoying the Malfoy, Crab and Goyle trio is because, spoiler... We can't really take a trip on the Hogwarts Express without Draco needing to come by to try to bully Harry. It's actually on the ticket. Platform number, departure time, moment the most annoying character in this series is going to come be annoying. Check. More people screaming at me. But I do want to highlight one little thing from this exchange. And by little, I mean kind of massive. Because he... Threatens to murder Harry. Quote, I'd be careful if I were you, Potter. Unless you're a bit politer, you'll go the same way as your parents. End quote. What kind of an 11-year-old kid feels confident enough walking up to somebody they don't know and just casually saying that if you don't want to be my friend, I'm going to kill you? But Why come seek Harry out at all? He doesn't know who he is. He didn't even realize that they'd met already. Why would the son of a Death Eater come look for Harry when he hears that he's on the train? Could this be Lucius' doing? There was a mention later in the series, I think from Snape and Spinner's End, that some of the Death Eaters thought that Harry might actually be a powerful dark wizard who would take up the mantle of Voldemort, and that's how he defeated him. Did Lucius think this might be the case? Did he perhaps tell Draco growing up that this was his theory? Would he maybe ask or task Draco with finding and perhaps befriending him at school that year? Would Draco maybe do that on his own after hearing all the stories? We know he's the type of bully who feels his power by who he knows and how much money he has. And like his father tough when they have stronger friends than you what was the goal here what would the plan be get harry to be your friend assume he's in slytherin try to influence him wait to see his dark agenda and then follow him be close to him so you can be in a position to be powerful when he takes over the wizarding world or Is this just simply a kid who heard a famous name and wanted to go poke the zoo and, you know, the animal zoo display? Whatever the motivation, the seed of hatred for these two was planted. And we get one of the most annoying aspects of the story, honestly, the Malfoy bullying rivalry. But I guess you can't have a hero's journey take place at a school without giving him a bully. The kids are about to scrap, and Ron's rat scabbers bites Goyle, which is hilarious when you know that this is a 30-something-year-old wizard who's been hiding out as a rat for a decade at this point. I wonder how many times the Marauders got into animal scraps as their anime guy form, and how many people's hands that this rat has been. Was this actually to protect Ron, or was this perhaps self-preservation? This is a Malfoy, after all. and as they point out in Prisoner of Azkaban, Death Eaters might not be so happy with him either because he let the uh, he broke the Fidelius charm as the secret keeper for the potters. He let Voldemort know where to go to find them, to kill them, and where to find Harry. And what happens when Voldemort tries to take out Harry? Bye-bye, Voldemort. Don't think that buys you a lot of favor with the followers of Voldemort. Play by play. Anyway, the train docks shortly after this and Harry sees Haggard again, which is cool. They take a ride in some little boats, I imagine as big as a canoe, but without the cooler and, you know, then they reach the castle. Leading us into Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. There's really not a ton in this chapter. We see Prof. McGee, who tells him about the houses, gets him ready for the sorting. Hermione gets put into Gryffindor, Malfoy, Slytherin, a few others along the way. Harry has his moment where the hat, you know, immediately recognizably asks not to be, you know, put in Slytherin because the hat is saying you would do well in Slytherin. That takes a while and tries to talk him into it a bit. Harry ultimately gets the upper hand in this little mental battle with the hat of um, basically begging let's be honest he was begging I think the common thought here is that the hat is sensing the shard of Voldemort's soul inside Harry and that's why he's thinking Slytherin but that seems kind of off to me we see a strong pull of family in sorting Not always, but most of what we see are families following the same house. All the Weasleys, the Malfoys, the Crabs, the Goyles, almost all of the Blacks, with the exception of Sirius. Aside from the Patel twins being separated and Sirius breaking that Black family tradition and eventually being burned off the family tree, blood relatives often wind up in the same house. Harry's parents were Gryffindors. I assume that the Potters before him would have been Gryffindor based on the uh Snape's um I can't think of the chapter name off the top of my head now even though I just said it a few minutes ago um but it's the uh bear with me give it a second (laughs) he will think of it no he won't but he gets it from Snape's memories where uh he meets James in the compartment where James is talking to Sirius, and James says, You know, I'm going to be in Gryffindor like my dad. So we assume that the Potters come from a long line of Gryffindors, and we assume that Lily comes from a long line of no houses because she was muggle born. Everything about Harry's character also lines up for the qualities of Gryffindor House. I know some people, you know, claim that he actually should have been in Slytherin. I couldn't disagree more with that. So if that's if the hat is sensing one shard, one tiny shred of Voldemort's soul versus all of these qualities and generations of you know bravery and Gryffindors, it doesn't add up that well to me why it's such a debate. I also don't really align with those in the fandom who say that you know it, that. Harry did belong in Slytherin because I don't see the cunning I don't see maybe ambitious a little bit but it just doesn't really line up to me you know Hermione and Ravenclaw sure Ron and Hufflepuff yeah maybe Harry and Slytherin no. The only thing that might make some sense here is what happens at the Gryffindor table. It's the moment everyone remembers as the first time Harry, you know, feels his scar burn. And it happens when he locks eyes with Snape, who's glaring at him loathingly. And Harry thinks it has something to do with him. Of course, we know that it's because at that same moment, Voldemort's face is sticking out of the back of Coral's head and staring at him from underneath a turban. We assume he can see through the turban, right? Because otherwise, how's he keeping an eye on Quirrell? We'll go down that rabbit hole later. Could the proximity to Voldemort at the moment he put on the sorting hat have actually stirred that Voldy soul just enough, maybe to just bring it more to to the surface? Maybe, but I don't think that's it. Or the moment in the second book wouldn't have happened in Dumbledore's office with the hat. Voldemort was nowhere near him at that moment and the hat still stood by, you would have done well in Slytherin. It has to be more about Harry and I'm sorry, I just, you're trying to tell me that a pure intact soul of a Gryffindor legacy heir to the third Peverell brother prophesies to defeat the heir of Slytherin himself doesn't outweigh a sliver of Voldemort's soul without Harry begging for it? I just don't buy this plot device. I just don't. Anyways, Harry's a Gryffindor. The end. His scar burns when he sees Snape glaring at him in pure hatred and is unaware that Voldemort's staring at him, too. And I forgot that before this, Dumbledore gives his welcome speech by saying a few words, you know, nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak, which is amazingly whimsical and something missing from the character in the movies completely and quite frankly the rest of the series this part of his personality just kind of doesn't shine through it kind of falls away a little bit perhaps it's just because the stakes are getting too great for awkward humor or maybe the author just didn't feel like it was important or organic enough to make its way in in some of the moments that are to come either way we had to highlight it because it's funny they eat it's fantastic nearly headless nick does a party trick we get a real speech and then a warning about a third floor corridor on the right side being out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to die a very painful death. You know, like you do. They sing a song, find the dorm, go to bed. Harry's dream is creepy and way more hints to his future than he realizes at all. And then he doesn't remember Anything about it. Scouting Report. As a reminder, the Scouting Report segment of the Belated Binge podcast is where we put the spotlight on one particular character for the chapters that we read and just see what we learned about them and see if we can pick them apart a little bit. I was kind of on the fence about who to focus on this week. My first thought was Molly Weasley, but we did our whole Theory Corner episode about her. Reminder. Go become a patron to get that. So we're going to go for the offspring and highlight Ron. A few things worth noting about Ron in this episode. He's extremely self-conscious and filled with self-doubt in being able to stand out in some way when his brothers have all done seemingly everything before. Prefects, head boy, Quidditch stars, everything short, we think, of being knighted by the queen herself. He fears not only falling short of the family bar, but also ever being able to do something cool enough to differentiate himself in the slightest. Little does he know what lies ahead before him. And being friends with the Chosen One and defeating Voldemort, not bad. He's also incredibly embarrassed about his family's economic status. Being poor is something he's completely ashamed of. He didn't even want to eat Harry's pile of candy at first, trying to play content with the sandwiches he had from Molly, as if you know it's this is normal, this is all good, this is you know a thing. But his face, you know, is, and honestly, Rupert Grant, his facial expressions as Ron in the movies, particularly these early ones when they're super young and none of them know how to act yet, it, you can see it. You know, the the uh this the discouragement just the kind of the the embarrassment of nope can't afford any of that good taste in candy but i've got these sandwiches that i'm not stoked about he starts informing harry about how the wizarding world works and this is the very beginning of him being our you know via Harry lens to learn about the wizarding world which is a role that he fills throughout the entire series no matter how useless the movies insist on making him despite how great Rupert Grid's facial expressions are. He's also loyal. He immediately stands up for Harry as well as his family to Malfoy and his goons when they come in and throwing around insults. Like he's ready to go. He's brave. He's a little hot-headed. That same altercation was sure to end One way. He and Harry lying on the floor. He didn't care. He was ready to knuckle up and go down swinging in defense of people he cares about, even though he and Harry just met. This is the absolute definition of being ride or die from day one. Ron has a lot of flaws. A a lot. (laughs) of flaws throughout the series. And we're going to have uh, plenty of moments that make us question whether we love him or hate him as part of our trio, whether he's holding up his end of the bargain. How useful is Ron, really? We're going to think that a lot of times throughout this series, I think. I was just listening to uh, another podcast that talked about uh, that they're in book seven, where uh, the trio is going camping Uh, and if you want to hear their podcast it's the fox and the foxhound and it's fantastic Uh, but they're in book seven where the camp the trio are camping and you know they brought up the chapter when ron is about to take off on them and how he's really not pulling his weight he doesn't have any ideas he's just complaining a lot and it it's not a good look for ron And it's, it that might actually be the bookend of it. That might be the last moment that he has in the, the real, um, the real worst of it. But there's a ton of them leading up to it where it would be really easy for us to sit here and say, you know, it's the Harry and Hermione show and what's Ron doing there. But the groundwork is laid in this chapter. For him to truly be a, a a real key asset to this trio when it gets you know to the time of them being a trio, because he does have a tendency to come through in the clutch. And it all starts here. Also, he's really good at chess, and they could have explored that strategic mind a little bit further, but they didn't. Four Shadow. All right. So, the foreshadow segment on the Bladed Binge podcast is where we do just that. We pick four things that foreshadow something later to come in the series. And the first thing that we want to highlight this week is the chocolate frog card that Harry gets with Dumbledore's face on it. And on the back, Nicholas Flamel. This is the missing piece of information that Harry completely forgets about after this moment. But when Hagrid lets the name slip, it's there, somewhere in the back of his mind. He's the only known maker of the Sorcerer's Stone, or Philosopher's Stone, and that is the object this whole book is about. And it's right at the tip of his tongue, or right in the back of his mind, and he just can't grab it until... honestly it probably takes him too long but you know shout out to chocolate frog cards for planting the seed the second thing that we want to foreshadow this week is the scar burn the connection between Harry and Voldemort's minds it's written to make us believe that it happens when Snape looks at Harry like he hates him and wants him to die but it's actually because in that moment Quirrell is facing Snape, and his head is the back of his head rather, is facing at Harry. And he's got his turban on, which means Voldemort in this moment is looking directly at Harry from the back of Quirrell's head from just across the room. This is the closest that Voldemort has been to Harry since he was a baby. And, of course, we're assuming that he can see through the turban because magic. But that scar burn, we're going to have a lot to do with that scar. There's going to be a lot of burning. There's going to be a lot of connection between these two, all going through that scar. The third thing that we want to foreshadow this week is the look that Snape gave Harry, making him think that this is a teacher that doesn't like me at all. Oh, how right he was. <laughs> I know Snape is made out to be a hero by the end, and he's, you know, definitely working for Dumbledore throughout these books behind the scenes. Yes, absolutely. But the whole keeping Lily's son alive but treating him like garbage doesn't exactly win me over. You know Snape hates Harry, and for those who have said they wished the big reveal at the end would be that Snape was Harry's real father, please think that through. You want to add to how terrible Snape treats Harry and compound it by saying he was tearing his own kid down as though he completely loathed him the whole time? No thank you on that particular headcanon. The last thing that we want to foreshadow this week is Harry's dream at the very end of the chapter, wrapped in Quirrell's turban, seeing Malfoy laughing at him, who will be his nemesis, Snape, who will be his bully, and that high-pitched just screech of nails on a chalkboard laugh of Voldemort flashing green, a Vaticadaver curse, which is both a flashback and a foreshadow. It's a really heavy dream. And it has so much in it that is just draped in four shadow, five shadow, six shadow, 13 shadow, all the shadows, all the shadows are in this dream. And he can't remember it when he wakes up. I don't know if that's for the better or for the worse. A game of inches. So the game of inches, this is a part of the show where we take something from the chapters that we read and we tweak the circumstances a little bit. It could be a character choice, it could be a plot moment, it could just be some event that took place, a decision made, you know, in the chapter, that if it just got a small tweak, was shifted by just maybe an inch or two, how different could the story have ended up? What kind of ripple effect could it have had? And this week, we're going to go down the theory rabbit hole of what if Ron just kept walking down the train aisles and sat with his brothers instead of Harry? I mean, we talked about how this was the most important introduction and friendship that could have possibly happened for Harry in this story. What if it didn't happen? would harry have just rode the whole way to hogwarts in that train compartment all by himself without being able to get any of his nervous jitters out with ron you know how would that impact his his anxiety his his nerves his his entrance into hogwarts and the wizarding world would he have literally any confidence whatsoever he was he was internally not even believing that he could be a wizard before he and Ron got to talk to each other and, you know, kind of he got to feel that he wasn't the only one with something to be nervous about. And Ron got to tell him that there are loads of people who are muggle borns who, you know, come to Hogwarts and they don't have a clue about anything that has to do with magic until then either, you know, Harry's not going into a situation that is, you know, uh, impossible or, or even all that out of the ordinary in this wizarding world for these kids. But without Ron there, what's he feeling? And what about when Malfoy and his goons show up? And I call Crabbe and Goyle his goons pretty much every time. So get used to that. Would they have tried to bully Harry if he was there by himself? Would Harry have possibly bought more into the rhetoric if Ron wasn't there, you know, being just tore down? How would that have interaction have gone? If it was three on one, not three on two, would they have tried to come to blows? If it was, if they were just cornering the boy who lived, what would again what we talked about this earlier what was the goal of going in there in the first place what would they would they've just tried to be friends we know that harry didn't like malfoy when they first met in Madame malkins when they were getting their robes hemmed and one thing that i didn't bring up when we were reading that chapter but it's popping into my head now so i'm going to share it with you that i thought was funny is malfoy was there before harry Already getting measured up and getting his robes, Harry gets there after and leaves b- before. What was taking so long with my boy? Anyway, you know, we we know that Harry wasn't a fan, but how would this interaction go without Ron? Would they have possibly you know just jumped him? Yeah, you know, would he show up with a black eye? Would he be knocked out on the train? Would they have possibly persuaded him to be friends? Maybe. Who would Harry make friends with once he got to school if it wasn't with them? Would it still be Ron just in some other way? You know, say, say Ron goes and sits with his brothers on the train, but they meet in school when they both get sorted into Gryffindor. Um, You know, the first person who Harry talks to at the Gryffindor table is Ron's older brother, Percy. So maybe that's how the introduction happens. It's possible. There's, I mean, it's Hogwarts. It's a school. These kids literally share a dorm room. They sleep right next to each other in canopy beds or whatever. They could have met in plenty of ways and could have become friends in plenty of ways. It may not have been all that different. But would he have possibly, I don't know, gone the Dean and Seamus route, been friends with Neville. We talked a little bit about that earlier, but what would have happened? How would how would Harry have navigated the first week, the first day, the first train ride, the first, you know, the sorting, the first meal? How would he have done any of that without that comfort of Ron, who he, you know? really got along to with and really took to in the first moments you know i believe and we already discussed this that without ron there's no trio so is there even a win for the good guys if ron doesn't sit with harry on that first train ride what story are we reading without that the belated binge podcast yeah. If you're new to the Belated Bench Podcast, each week we give away three meaningless awards of two characters or moments in the chapters. That'll make sense here in just a minute. And we start this week with our game ball. The game ball. So this one's going to Molly Weasley. MI7 (laughs) Yeah. MI7 Kids. (laughs) Sleeper Agent. Activated. In the train station, she gets Harry on the train safely. She makes the biggest introduction of his life. She raised the kids who helped him onto the train, as well as one third of our golden trio. And that's just one of these chapters. Molly is huge throughout this series, and this is her her first nod, her first uh, MVP, if you will, with this week's game ball. So next, we give away. The red card. Red card. So the game ball is the good standout character. The red card is the one that we wish we could just kick out of the game completely. And this week, I'm going with Petunia Dursley. Vernon was garbage about the platform, sure. But what's worse is that Petunia knew how to get on the platform. She went with Lily. At least once that we know of for sure from Snape's memories, but probably multiple times. Yet she doesn't tell Harry either. And they just leave an 11-year-old boy at a crowded train station in a busy city. He could have been kidnapped, trafficked, killed. They don't care because they're the worst and Petunia is the worst. Let's do the fumble. Fumble. So the fumble doesn't go to a character. This goes more to the chapter, or you could say to the author if you wanted to. It's where does the text in the plot, or just the events that take place in the chapters that we're going through, where does it drop the ball? What doesn't totally line up just right? For this week, you have a whole school of people in the train station running through one single pillar and nobody notices. Have you ever went to any public place with people in it? Ever? Especially one with a time-sensitive deadline of any sort at all? Think concerts, amusement parks, the zoo, a theater. Who cares what it is? What happens is people first trickle in. Then a wave of people come in, and then lines form. Can you imagine a line of wizard families with trunks, owls, and all of their quills and cloaks and all the nonsense, just standing there, waiting on their turn to run through a brick wall? That's not subtle. What's the other way onto the platform? You would think maybe apparition. But in book six, it becomes a big deal in school that Harry had done side-along apparition before, which suggests that families aren't traveling with their kids that way. Portkeys maybe, but we don't get any indication at any point in the series that people are just taking port keys directly onto the platform. The text leads us to believe that this one single pillar is the only Option, and nobody ever sees them. Sure, magic. With that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Belated Bench Podcast, and I can't thank you enough for listening. But before we get out of here, I do want to let you know of a little announcement. If you missed it last week, uh, I. Uh, announced that um, next week is actually going to look a little bit different on the podcast. We're going to be having Amanda from the Fox and the Foxhounds that I mentioned earlier on as a co-host. If you're unfamiliar, she and her husband host a spoiler-free chapter-by-chapter podcast. As I mentioned, they're in the final book now, and since her husband had never read the books, she's had to avoid spoilers this whole time. Not able to give away Anything. And she's done a good job. But I know she has some thoughts on a couple characters who will be front and center for next week's episode, so I'm excited to just let her fly. Aside from that, shout-out to Producer Jack, who we work like a dog every week. Remember to follow and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review if you enjoy the show. Five stars, please. That's how we're going to tell these pesky little algorithms that we... Deserve to be seen, and that people actually would like us if they got to listen. So let's give them the nudge that they need. Uh, If you'd like to support the show and be a part of making it, you can become a patron over on Patreon. Uh, We have two tiers over there a $3 and a $5 tier, starters and all stars. With each tier, you receive early access to ad free versions of our episodes. And with the all-star tier you get exclusive content like theory corner this week talking about molly weasley as mi7 kids and other bonus content that we're going to have on there as well so if you do that thank you we're also on social media at belated binge on twitter facebook and instagram our show segments are available on youtube and if you'd like to get in touch with us and you don't have social media because i don't know you're a dinosaur Uh, You can email the show as well, belatedbinge at gmail.com. Welcome your feedback and your input on the topics of each episode. If you're reading along next week, we're going to do chapters eight and nine of Sorcerer slash Philosopher's Stone, again, with our special guest, Amanda, from the Fox and the Foxhounds. Aside from that, that's all I got. So we'll see you back here on the Belated Binge podcast. The Belated Binge Podcast.